Psalm 61. I'll try and keep my voice up again with the wind. It seems like for so many weeks now the wind's been blowing the tent. I don't remember it being this windy or maybe it's because we've been in the tent, I don't know. But it's like every week and I'm saying, Lord, I don't care if it rains, just don't let it wind. Don't let the wind blow on us, you know. But anyhow, uh, Psalm 61, we'll read the whole psalm, there's just eight verses in it. We're going to read the opening caption. To the chief musician upon Neganah, a psalm of David. Verse 1. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my voice. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my Advice. The Lord will bless the reading of his own inspired and divine word in public, but let's just buy in a word of prayer and ask his blessing on the word. We pray your blessing to be upon your word again this morning, Lord. We pray, O God, that you would bless your people, those that are here, those that are watching live or later. We pray, O God, that they would receive their portion. We pray, O God, that you would help me to, Lord, take your word and rightly divide it, but take your word and through thy spirit apply it to the hearts of men and women. Help us this morning, Lord, in such a windy, blustery day, Lord, with the noise of this tabernacle, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would help us and help me, Lord, to put this over, Lord, take away the distraction of the sound and the noise and let them hear the voice of God and not even the voice of man, nor the wind that's blowing. So glorify your Son, and glorify his name, we ask it for Jesus' sake, and for his glory. Amen. I think this message will need two, uh, two mornings on it anyway, so we'll do a few pointers this morning. My, te- my text really started, if you want, mainly from verse 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I mentioned a little bit about this on Wednesday night. We had a a great Bible study, Andrew brought the Bible study on the bride of Christ. It was a great word. Listen to it if you get a chance. It's online. And in the Bible study afterwards, I happened to mention I felt pressed to bring uh, a teaching on Psalm 61. And what I'm going to say, this isn't about me. I want to make that clear. It's not about me. I'm not looking sympathy. I'm not looking anything. I just want to explain something to you. 
when the Lord laid this on me, it was a week or two ago, and it was on my mind and in my heart. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I thought back to the year 2012. And it was the 2nd of December, and I'll never forget it. Uh, 2nd December 2012, early in the morning, it was a Sunday morning, I received a phone call from a man from the church in deep distress is the only way I could put it. And it was early, maybe 5.36 in the morning. So I spoke with him and talked him down, as it were, tried to help him on the phone. And the rest of the morning went on. I'm, I, I'm around the table with the worship band are playing and we're just worshiping the Lord. I had my Sunday morning message set and ready and I felt the Lord saying to me, Psalm 61, speak on it this morning. Psalm 61, speak on it this morning. So while people are worshiping and breaking bread and this is going through my mind, couldn't get rid of it. So I get up, didn't know what to say, opened it up at Psalm 61. And so I preached the message on Psalm 61. And the man that I was speaking to walked into the church and I'm thinking, ah, well, this is for him. This is for him. This man is a professional in his in, in secular work. He's a, he's a respected man and he generally wouldn't share things with you. That's just the type of him. But there he was. This must be for him. And I left it with the Lord. But little did I know it wasn't for him. It may have helped him, but it wasn't for him. It was for me. And I didn't realize it was for me until the following week. Uh, the 2nd of December 2012, I was going out. I had the morning meeting. Had my, we went home. I was going out to the evening meeting and our phone rang in the, in the hallway and I'd literally put my hand on the door and I lifted it and it was my dad, my father. And he said that my younger sister was ill in hospital and we wondered why she hadn't met with us. She usually meets with us every Friday or Saturday and that weekend she hadn't. My older sister was in a nursing home because she'd taken ill uh, we thought she's always up and down and we had went and visited her on the Saturday. This was the Sunday. And going out the door, the phone rings. My dad tells me, I said, I'm going to preach at a meeting. He says, I think she's very ill. So I said, well, I need to preach the word first. I'll go and preach the word and I'll go to hospital and see her, which Alison and I did. And she was very jaundiced, all sorts of drips in. We visited her, went down to uh, the shore road in Belfast to visit my dad to see if he was all right. And after we visited him, I thought, I says, Alison, I'd like to see Elaine. That's the one in the home. But it was very late at night. And we thought, I'll come in the morning for him come back to the hospital. And then I'll go and visit Elaine in the home in the morning. So we went home and I couldn't really sleep much and eventually fell asleep and around 5.30 
on the 3rd, Monday morning, the 3rd of December 2012. Alison heard the phone. I heard it. She got the phone. And it was my dad telling me my sister was found lying dead. We went down. She was still on the floor where she was. Uh, we didn't tell my younger sister. We thought we'll get on with it. And this isn't about me or sympathy now. I'm trying to help someone. I want to show you where the psalmist was, where I was, where you might be, where you might be, or maybe you're just coming out of something. We didn't tell my younger sister, and we didn't realize how ill she was. We buried my older sister, and at the grave, we have received a call to go to the hospital right away where my younger sister then died too. It was a time of not knowing who to, to mourn. It was strange. Trying to uphold the family and we buried her in the same week. Of us, as you can imagine, the, the family were plunged in the darkness of despair and mourning and my dad took ill and he died shortly after. And my brother-in-law who I grew up with, he died too all in a short space of time. And I was at a place where not knowing what to do, and the week after we buried my second sister, that Sunday I got off and I went back to the pulpit and preached the word. And your daughter used to say, weeping should never hinder worship. Talking to Linda, it's Pastor McConnell's daughter. And off I went into the pulpit, and to be honest, Part of me thought I should have took another week for as soon as I got up, everyone was firing darts at me thinking he must be all right now. And it was a time of blackness and darkness and mourning and pain and suffering for the family. And we went through it. We call it the season of death. And what I'd realized was that the Lord had given Psalm 61 and verse 2 especially to me, for me. When my heart is overwhelmed, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And the little things that people argue over and fight about and gossip over, the little things that people sort of bring up and don't get on about and complain and moan over, they were exaggerated to me because it didn't matter. Going to register all the deaths and me trying to organize them all and going down to the city hall to register them. I remember I just wanted the world to stop and shout, does everyone not know what we're going through? Does everyone not know what is happening to me and to my family at this time? People used to say, I'm sorry for your loss, and they mean, the we- mean well, and I understand that. I've said it, I say it too, and we are. But nothing helps and nothing takes it away, and we can talk to people, and we can try and have counseling and different things if that's what people need, and that's fine, that may help. But when you go home and close the doors, Christian, you're on your own. You're left with your burden. And that's what's happening in Psalm 61. As I started to dig it out and to turn it over, 
looking at all the words of it, that's what starts to happen in this psalm. When my heart is overwhelmed, the heart is the leba, is the word in the Hebrew text, and it means the center of my everything. Overwhelmed means to be shadowed or to be sheltered or even to put a veil of darkness over a heart. I remember asking God, looking at a river, the river near me, the dog swimming and looking at the river, and all still the church problems and worries and I couldn't take time off. I had to keep on in the work. And I remember standing thinking, that river is actually looking enticing to me at this time. I couldn't get any rest from it. I was crying on to God, literally with tears, crying and weeping before him on a field. I wouldn't let my wife see me mourn. Times I just couldn't help it. And she did. But generally I walk out of a room. This isn't about me in sympathy. I'm fine. Please don't get me wrong. I'm trying to bring you to a place where maybe where you have been. Or maybe where you are. Maybe you're there this moment. And the Lord has brought you to hear this. This message is called Deliverance for the Overwhelmed Heart. That it seems as if your center of everything, your will, your emotions, your thinking is shrouded and shadowed and covered with a blanket of darkness, as it were, of the, the darkness of mourning of the loss of a loved one. Mourning the breakup of a marriage. Mourning for whatever else. And so that day I look back and say, Lord, that was for me. When my heart is overwhelmed, you were telling me. Lord, you were warning me. You were trying to strengthen me. You were giving me the forethought on this. And I'll be honest, when the Lord laid this on me again, I, I didn't want to bring it. And I'll tell you why. I was afraid. I'll let you into a little part of my own personal life here saying these things. I was afraid. And this is what I said to the Lord. I said, Lord, if I preach in this, please tell me you're not warning me again. I couldn't take that. Please tell me I'm not going through it again. And here's what I got back. No matter what you go through, you have to look to me. And do as I say, preach the word. To yield yourself to the word. To yield yourself to what God is doing. To yield yourself to what he wants in your life. To yield your heart, your very will, your emotions to what he wants. I never said to Alison the whole time this was going on. And so I sat down again to write on Friday morning, putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. The psalmist here in our opening titles, if you notice just above verse one says, to the chief musician upon Neganah. Neganah is a poem that would be played and sung with a, played on a stringed instrument. 
And the thing about this is it, it also gives the idea to describe a, a song with, it, it, it's to taunt something, taunt someone. You know, someone, to pull it out of someone. This song is to, to reach in deep and pull something out. That's what this is for. Why do you think at the reading of Psalm 61, especially in verse 2, when mine heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, no matter the depths we have went nor the shallowness of your experience, it doesn't matter. We can relate to it. Pulls it out of us. It pulls it out. Not only of what we have went through or what we're going through, but it pulls it out of us to who God is. For when all others have closed their doors, including you, it's you and him. Listen, even your spouse can't take the hurt away. Even your spouse can't fill the aching void. They can help, they can comfort, and it's good to have them, but they can't even do it. And what you must do is walk it out with God. Walk it out with the Lord. It's only He can heal the broken heart and bind up the wounds. Only He can take it and make it good again. You know, we know that the Lord can work for good to all these things. And sometimes we wonder, how does anything good come out of this? How do you do anything good out of this? Well, he's God and he does some way. He, he may not give us what our heart wants and uh, that, that ache, but what he wants for us is to us to grow in him and to walk on with him, to continue on in him. The word here, Nagana, it's in other Psalms and I know some people are taking notes. So it's Psalm 4 and 1. Psalm 6 and 1, Psalm 54 and 1, Psalm 55 and 1, of course, 61. I'll say 1, it's the beginning of the first verse, that's why I'm saying 1. 67 and 1 and 76 and 1. Nagana is used in these Psalms in what's known as a plural context. So they all gather together. And it's to taunt together. In other words, we could have the band up, the, the, an orchestra up, or loads of stringed instruments up, and we all start to worship together. And while we're here, you see, with the nagana of the, of the music and the psalm and the gathering together, it draws it out of you. It's like it goes into you and pulls it all out of you. It draws it out of you. So the nagana is plural, as if we're here. There's many stringed instruments and there's some which have many singers that reach many people. But in Psalm 61, it's different. In Psalm 61, it is singular. It is singular. In other words, it was David and his God. It was David and his God and his harp. It's a very personal. That's why I told you the background of this. I want to show you where this psalmist is coming from, where the king of Israel is coming from, this prophet David is, in his heart. 
It's very personal and it's adapted for private devotion of a single individual. See, David sitting down on his own with his heart broken. David, when he's writing this, by the way, it said he's back on the throne. He's been run out of town, as it were, and run out of Israel. And now on the throne, he's looking to where, ah, this is for me, Lord. This is what you give me in that cave and the mountains and the holes of the rocks. When, when Saul and then Absalom, his son later, were chasing after him, that's what you've done for me. See David sitting with his heart now, just him alone, because it was personal, because it was him and God. David, his heart, and his God. And you see him sitting there in the, in the room when it's just him, and he's, he's remembering where he was. He's remembering the depths of it, the despair of it, the mourning in it, the hurt of it, the discouragement of it, the disillusionment of it all. And here he is with his heart, and he's playing with his heart, singing it on to God, just David in his heart to the Lord. Shows you, it shows you and it shows me just how important personal worship is before your God. It shows us how personal you can be with God and how important personal worship, personal prayer, even personal singing between you and God. Remembering where he brought you from. Remembering how he reached you there. Remembering the depths of despair. You know why? Because in future times, in future times, you might need to revise and look back to say, Lord, you've done it before. You'll do it again. You've done it before. You'll do it again. There's no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he can do for you. It is no secret what God, bless him, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. Praise you, Lord, this morning. What God... Sing it one more time unto the Lord. It is no sea. Hallelujah. What God... What He's done. Ah, He's lovely. We'll worship you. Bless him. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret. 
regret what God can do. You see, this is personal. And again, I started off the way I did because of what it was personal to me in that sense that it was personal to David and maybe personal to you. Notice here as I just go through quickly some points in this psalm. This is an opening this morning for God willing and the Lord's will next week. Notice the personal tone of it in verse 1. My cry, he says, my prayer. Notice, it's my cry, it's my prayer. Verse 2, he says, will I cry unto thee? He speaks of my heart and us lead me. In verse 3, he says, you are shelter for me, for me. Notice the personal tones. Verse 4, I will abide, I will trust. And then in verse 5, he mentions my voice. In verse 6, he says, he speaks of himself in the third person. The king shall abide. Notice the king speaking of himself shall abide. The third person. Isn't it strange or is it that he speaks in the third person of himself here? Because how many of us at times want to jump out of our own skin and run away and leave it all behind us? How many of us would love to be sometimes in that place where you're outside looking at somebody else? It might look like you, they might talk like you, they might even act like you. You might think, well, that is me, but it's not really you because you're able to escape yourself your circumstance and your situation. David, as it were, he steps nearly outside himself and he says, the king. Oh, if I could just step outside some of this situation and get a clearer view, the king shall abide. Here's hope he's bringing in a personal tone. Standing out in the third person. Verse seven, he speaks of himself in the third person again. He shall abide, speaking of the king. He's standing outside saying, I know this will happen. It may not be now, but I'm standing outside to get a clearer picture and a clearer look at all of this. He'll abide, the king. And then in verse 8, here's the personal tone. I will sing praise. Notice he's now lifted. He's now lifted up in the Lord. He's now encouraged in his God. I will sing praise. And then he says, I may daily perform my vows. The humanness of David is on full display. He steps out of himself, as it were, and he sees that even an anointed man, I want you to listen to this, that even an anointed man, an anointed woman, But he sees that even an anointed man has his moments of weakness. That even a man who has been called by the grace of God, someone of high standing, someone in leadership, still has their fears and their failures, 
still taking the attacks of the enemy, still feeling the pain that everyone else feels and trying to cover it, to put the, the front on it that he may lead the charge. Yet in behind the scenes, he's saying, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David, whom God is using, has the need of grace like every other man and woman. Even the king, exalted and lifted onto the throne, will fall and fail before God. Notice here briefly the four progressive I wills in this psalm. The four progressive I wills. I will cry unto thee. There's your prayer. I will cry unto thee in verse 2. Verse 4, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. Notice verse 4 again. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. And in verse 8, I will sing praise. What a difference. But notice the humility of David, the humanity of David, and the humbleness of his humanness. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah 14, please. Isaiah chapter 14. We have the four I wills in this psalm of David. Here in Isaiah 14, we have the five I wills of Lucifer. Now, notice the difference here. I want you to catch the difference. David is I will cry, I will hide, I will trust, I will abide. I'll sing praise unto you, God. I'll perform my vows. The humility of his heart before God because he realizes the depths of despair, the overwhelmed heart, and needing the deliverance of his God. Now notice the five I wills of Lucifer. Isaiah chapter 14, please, verse 12. O Lucifer, thou fallen from how art thou, pardon me, fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, notice, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also, I will sit, pardon me, also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. The pride of the five I wills of Lucifer in contrast to the five or the four I wills of David in Psalm 61. There's no comparison. This one, Lucifer is saying, I'll be like God and I'm my own God and I'll do this and you'll not tell me what to do and don't give me your commandments. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. But David's I will is, I will, but I'll hide. I will abide. David's I wills are completely different to the I wills of Lucifer, comparing pride with humility. Notice here, Proverbs 16 and verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And the fall of Lucifer, the devil, is found in Revelation chapter 12. When you want to go home, you can read it. 
the fall that is spoken of in Isaiah 14 and 12 falls from heaven in Revelation chapter 12. Turn with me to 1 John, please, chapter 2. Going to have to round this up already. Time is already flowing. We'll do this bit, and then we'll go into God willing next week more of it. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You see in verse 6 the little word pride, the pride of life. P-R-I-D-E, the pride of life. That little word there, it is the word aladzonia. Listen to what it means. And listen carefully to this. It means empty talking. A braggart. An insolent. An empty assurance, one who speaks well of himself. An assurance which trusts in its own powers and in its own resources and shamefully despises and violates divine laws. One with a swagger. <laughs> That's another word. One with a swagger. You know, I'm, I'm giving it all this. And when we find this word, when we go to Mark chapter 7, please. Mark 7. And let your eye roll down, if you will, to verse 22. Verse 22. Let's go to verse 21. From within out of the heart of men proceedeth evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceitful, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. See the little word there, pride, it's a different word. It's a word, hupa-rephania. Hupa-rephania. And it means a swollen estimate of one's own powers and one's own merit. It means one who looks down on others and treats them with contempt. Now in 1 John, John is mentioning pride in the sense he's writing to the believers. It's a different word altogether. And he's writing to the believers to say, listen, when you and I speak of pride, we're saved by grace. We have the Spirit of God in our hearts. We live by faith in Christ. We don't have an empty assurance which trusts in powers and resources of our own. We don't shamefully despise despise or violate God's divine laws. We don't willfully go out to sin and say, I'm all right the way I am because we know. Notice the difference. Because we know that we're sinners saved by grace, now elevated to sonship in God, in Christ. But that's where we were. 
David in his humility says, I'll abide, I'll trust. I will hide in you, God. I'll sing praises. I'll perform my vows. But Lucifer's different. I'm better, I'm greater, and I'll be like the Most High. See the difference here? And the pride of Matthew 7, the pride in Matthew chapter 7 here, it means one who looks down their nose on another. Listen, listen, brothers and sisters, see, because you sin differently than the person beside you, don't look down your nose at them. Because their sin might be more manifest than you, don't look down your nose at them. Because these are the things that defile you, not them. Where's the grace in the church? Where's the love and the compassion? Because people on their own, when they close the doors, you and I don't know what that man and you and I don't know what that woman are facing at home and what they're going home to. You don't know the depths of despair in their heart and in their mind and in their lives. You don't know the damage that's done to some people in life. You don't know the frailty of the human frame at times. And I'll tell you, when I was in that place, when I was in that place and I'm looking at a river thinking it's more inviting than carrying on in the place I was in for someone to come and carry me along was the, was the most wonderful thing that I could have had. But instead, I was hammered. <laughs> I was hammered from church leadership down. I'd missed the Sunday after my second sister died and I was knocking at the door when you back out in your meetings. I'd missed one. We're two dead. When are you coming back? We need you out. And a man who came in and sat in my living room and said, you got to keep going. I says, I'm trying. He says, then get out and do it. And another one came and told me it was my fault that they died because I had a lack of faith. And if someone who was weaker minded in the faith, or if you want, who didn't know the Scriptures was sitting in my position looking and listening to that, dear knows what they'll have done. David is saying, I remember the cave. I remember Saul with 3,000 chosen men out of Israel hunting me like a wild animal. I remember my own son turning on me. I remember he cast me out and there I was kicked out of the temple or out of Jerusalem where our temple is or our tabernacle. And there I am. The Lord has been good. The Lord has come through. The Lord has blessed me. And now I'm sitting back on the throne. All is well. And I'm playing the harp, worshiping him. See, brothers and sisters, I'm trying to help you this morning. 
I'm really trying to help you. For if you're in that place, I'm God's what I'm telling you. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. And in all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. While there's breath in your lungs, there's hope. Christ hears every prayer. And your father may not answer at the time in the place where you think he should and even in the way. But I'll tell you, he's no disappointment and he always comes through. Brothers and sisters, maybe you're struggling this very day. I plead with you, hold on and dig deep. I'll tell you why. Because you're not holding on to him. That we song it says, I will never let him go. That's not really true because we let him go every day. It's him. He doesn't let you go. When my heart is shrouded in darkness, when my heart is covered with the blackness of mourning or whatever it may be, hurt and despair and discouragement, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lord, will you lift me up? Lord, will you lift me up? Will you help me? Brothers and sisters, this psalm has so much more for you and I to learn. This psalm has so much more to give us. The Naganoff of David is this. It lends itself to a singular personal psalm adopted for the private devotion of an individual child of God. And he says, Lord, will you help me? Lift me up to the rock. Hide me in Christ. Hide me in him. May God bless us this morning. May God bless his word this morning to all of our hearts. May God strengthen you this morning and answer your prayer according to his will this morning for the glory of his name and for the edification of each and every one of you. Team, would you come up, please?